Hello and welcome to this episode 14 of Frontier Investigates, brought to you by Frontier Current Affairs, Frontier of a New Generation. Today's episode, we will be speaking with Aidan Regan. Aidan is an Associate Professor at the School of Politics and International Relations at University College Dublin. He is Director of UCD's Jean Monnet Centre of Excellence in the New Political Economy of Europe. We will be speaking on a number of points of Irish political economy, the general election 2020, the decline of Fianna Fáil, rise of Sinn Féin on the left, local party activism and the future of Irish politics. My name is James and this is Frontier Investigates. Okay, so hello and welcome to this episode uh, of Frontier Investigates brought to you by Frontier Current Affairs frontier of a new generation. In today's episode, we'll ha- we will be speaking with Aidan Regan to discuss uh, Irish politics. Uh, I'm James Hammersley and this is Frontier Investigates. Okay, so where do we start? I suppose I was listening to one of your podcasts with Daniel Lambert uh, from Bang Bang and what struck me was one thing that she said which was that For a long time, I suppose, Irish politics was kind of, we were always kind of, it was always kind of seen as either being Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, voters were either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, and that we're all kind of in this cosy centre, rosy cosy centre. I suppose the last election kind of, that's kind of pretty much a bygone era now, whereas we're all kind of, we're we're now dissected on left-right divide. is that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so just to, I can draw upon some existing research that I have done with my colleague, Stefan Muller, on this, where we looked at the recent um, electoral survey post the previous general election to see whether or not there was a left-right divide opening up in Irish politics as measured by the extent to which different parts of the electorate self-identify on the left or right and what parties they choose on the basis of that self-identification or what the correlation between the two. But to cut a long story short, it would appear that, you know, the Irish electorate, the average Irish voter, the median voter today, increasingly identifies on the centre-left, both in terms of subjective identification but also objectively in terms of key policy measures on the economy in terms of social policy and you know it's a deeper question to explain why that might be the case however that's a somewhat different debate you could argue to the increasingly polarized or partisan divide which in a certain to a certain extent reflects that left-right distinction so you know the center-right is firmly occupied by Fine Gael today mm-hmm. The average person who self-identifies in the centre-right will either vote Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, really. But it is the kind of liberal centre, if you like, that Fine Gael have, have occupied. And you can see that quite clearly in the polls, that they are a firm anchor <clears throat> amongst the top 20% of the income distribution in particular. And Sinn Féin occupy the left ground, that they increasingly occupy the space amongst the bottom 50% of the income distribution. So I suppose I'm mixing up various different things here, but if I can give it to you in a kind of clear kind of pattern, 
it would be as follows, that the average Irish, Irish voter today identifies in the centre left. And that is the case for all voters. So even Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil voters would self-identify a bit more to the left than the right in the past. That's mm. very different of the Ireland of 20 years ago. Yeah. And that's reflected in both social policy and economic policy. Like there is no kind of right-wing economic preference amongst the electorate per se. Strong, a strong preference. And again, that shouldn't surprise people given the nature of Irish politics and public policy, the nature of the welfare state here. There's just not huge demand to cut back the state, to reduce public services, to get rid of the welfare. Not to say that some people don't think that, and I say there's no parties that might have a bit of a preference for that. Mm. But generally speaking, no. But this, there's just not enough space anymore amongst the Irish electorate to have two centre-right parties because it is effectively half or less than half the population. So Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are, to a certain extent, competing for that. And it is Sinn Féin that have clearly occupied the left space. Now, what I find more interesting is where different parties are anchored in what parts of the electorate. And the question here would be, well, is there a clear social class basis to this left-right polarization? And the answer is yes and no, in that, you know, whilst the bottom 50% of the income distribution will vote Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin is firmly the party of the old working class, if you put it like that, and they have completely taken those votes from Fianna Fáil, who may have taken those votes in the past. They will compete with Labour, Social Democrat, Green, for the more liberal, higher educated, self-identified on the left vote, but not necessarily huge income. So the average person who has higher education, <laughs> decent income, but not exactly huge income, will probably more likely vote Labour, Social Democrat, Green, mm. whereas somebody where education, lower income, will be more likely to vote Sinn Féin, and higher educated, but higher income, more likely to vote Fine Gael. So it's kind of Fianna Fáil that are being squeezed on all fronts. Yeah, yeah. And so then, you had uh, an article in the Sunday Business Post, like talking about Fianna Fáil, if it wants to have a future, it should turn left. I mean, Fianna Fáil are in very much in that kind of precarious position now. I mean, there were once, if, if I'm not mistaken, the, one of the largest, most popular parties in the European Union. Now, their last, the last poll, they were... I think maybe 12, 15%, something like that. I mean, that's, that's phenomenal, really. Yeah, I mean, Fianna Fáil were not only one of the most successful political parties in Europe, they were one of the most successful political parties in the world. Yeah. I mean, Fianna Fáil mm. completely shaped and constructed the key institutions of the Irish state. Mm. And Fianna Fáil were always not clearly identifiable on a left-right divide in terms of kind of st established comparative politics. They were a catch-all party, you know. They mm. were identified themselves as part of a nationalist movement. And, you know, with their kind of the, sh the shift and the change, their drift towards the right on economic policies, on physical policies, you know, but simultaneously still being kind of anchored in socially conservative policies, it's very hard to call them a left-wing party, although even many people in Fianna Fáil themselves would, would identify Fianna Fáil to be on the left. And then, of course, the whole Republican issue of Northern Ireland, when they kind of let's just say, I don't know, how would you put it, softened their rhetoric on that, you know, that obviously opened up a lot of space for Sinn Féin too. And Sinn Féin have, you know, in many ways, eaten their core working class vote, both in urban and rural Ireland. So I think 
comparatively, what has happened to Fianna Fáil is probably not that different to what has happened to the larger social democratic parties in, in Western Europe. So yes, it, like, you know, PASOK or the social democrats in Germany, or what's happened in the Netherlands, or even what's happened in France with the socialists, and it's, to a certain extent, all of those parties had their anchor in the traditional working class in the past. And Fianna Fáil was not that different in terms of who voted for them. But they themselves as a party were not the Socialist Party, the Social Democrats. They were very different as a party. But, you know, they have lost that vote in the same way the Social Democrats across Europe have lost that vote. Now, where it differs is that Fianna Fáil have lost that vote in Ireland to Sinn Féin, to part some of it to Fine Gael. It's kind of gone everywhere, but a lot of it has gone to Sinn Féin, whereas in, in, in Western Europe, a lot of that vote has actually gone either to sort of more urban, educated, higher-income green voters in cities or more radical populist right voters in the more industrial, uh, old working-class districts, depending on the country in question and there's kind of context-specific issues here at play. So in that sense, Fianna Fáil is comparable to the decline of social democratic parties across Western Europe. Yeah. And so, I mean, when it comes to like, so your, your research is in the political economy arena. And I was surprised to see that over 80% of uh, Irish people earn less than 50,000 euro a year. Um, and, and, and meanwhile, in the last 10, I suppose, 10 years, certainly since um, the crash, costs have gone up. Was that a major factor, and why, why, why did it take so long for people to turn to the left, to turn to Sinn Féin? Why didn't it happen in 2011? Because at that election, voters went to uh, Fine Gael mostly, and then some went to to Labour. Why wasn't there yes. this shift towards more more left, like Sinn Féin, and forget about Fine Gael and, and the centre right? Party. Yeah, I mean, so there's a few different things there, right? There's a few different kind of questions and sub-questions. So to, just to kind of tackle the first issue, Ireland is interesting at this point in time because in many ways it looks like Europe of old, whereby income and social class has become the most important predictor of voting behaviour. Mm. That's much less the case now in other Western European countries, yeah. whereby education is the real kind of divide and education is the big predictor of voting preferences. Okay. So that's an interesting kind of shift and change and it's worth asking, well, why has that happened? Mm. And at that point, I think it is less about the demand side, that is what voters want and preferences and political behavior and more on the supply side, what parties have to offer. And what has happened since 2011, as you know, is that Sinn Féin have rebranded, refashioned themselves, you know, they've got organized on the ground in different communities and again what i would say is and i'll come back to this in a moment Sinn Féin have not been in government yet so it seems to me that the electorate from 2011 wanted something different wanted something new there was a big wave towards labor then there was disappointment so the electorate is very fragment fragmented and less loyal and there's no there's a lot of I, wouldn't, I would not assume that there's strong loyalty. Yes, political parties have their anchor in certain key votes. For example, I don't imagine Fine Gael are going to lose for their higher income, higher uh, educated vote. And I don't think Sinn Féin are likely to lose their anchor in the old kind of, in, the older working class vote, certainly around in, in, in Dublin city. Mm. But that's not to say that they'll hold it. Um, so, so something has changed since 2011 
Labour obviously were disappointed and there's a lot changing in the electorate. As I've said, the voters, the, the voters themselves are moving more to the left. But at the same time, you've also got a very higher educated workforce in Ireland. So Ireland has a lot of higher educated voters. So there's arguably, you might say, there's so many higher educated voters that that's why education is not actually doing the explanation. And it's really the income divide. And what does income give you a signal of? Well, affordability, as you mentioned, particularly you live in city, access to housing, public service. So people want change. That's the kind of, I think, a, a, what, what's going on there. And Sinn Féin, at least in the Republic in the South, have managed to kind of portray and construct this image, you can, you can put it like that, or an identity, and it's a bit like, they're kind of like the Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corbyn-esque type coalition. And they've managed to build this rather unusual coalition in Western European terms, which includes Republican flag waving for Greenfields nationalism with kind of a more social democratic narrative and story about housing and public service provision. So I think that's what's happened. Sinn Féin has come along and mobilized a lot of that vote. So something, so that, that mobilization of the vote matters. And I think this is where political scientists have been wrong in the past, in my view, when it comes to Ireland, where there was this assumption that the electorate were just all on the right. But arguably, the issue was really on the supply side, that no party was really articulating a story, a narrative, a policy package that would have been attractive to a more kind of centre-left voter. Uh, and I think that's what Sinn Féin have managed to do. But it's not just Sinn Féin and the yeah. Social Democrats have done it. You know, Labour would still be in that space, although people might dispute that, but I think they are still in that space. And to a certain extent, the Greens are. So you've got a kind of cluster of centre-left parties there that are kind of competing for the same vote. But the difference between those, between the Social Democrats, Labour, Greens and Sinn Féin is that Sinn Féin are anchored in the, in the working class vote, that is in, in lower income households, where the Social Democrats, Labour, Greens are not anchored in that vote at all. So I think that's, that's really what has happened here. But if and when, and I think really is a case of when, when Sinn Féin enter into government, I wouldn't be so sure that they'd be as popular as they yeah. are now. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, for sure. And I mean, the likelihood is they probably have to go into government with a Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil, and there's going to have to be a lot of, you know, um, I suppose, like, like they may not have, may not be able to do all the things that they they want to do, which is invest in public services and so on. Like, um, but moving on again, like how how much does uh, grassroots activism actually have to play in Irish politics? I think is that fairly is Ireland distinctive in that way um, in in comparison to other Western European political economies where grassroots activism and, and grassroots political parties is quite important here. Well, I think it matters in politics in general, across all countries. You need to be organized on the ground. You need to be anchored in communities. You need to be anchored in different associations. You need to have a good, solid civil society base, unless you, know, you think that in our kind of digital age that you can do everything online and social media. I think that was a big strategic error, for example, of Podemos in Spain, whereby they were not anchored on the ground. So, for example, whilst there was turbulence in 2011, the financial crash, uh, PSOE, the kind of socialist party there, the centre-left Social Democrats, they really got, they lost a lot of their votes. They lost a lot to Podemos, the kind of the more party further to the left, although policy terms are really just another social democratic party. And, you know, but they had very good marketing, good communication, good aesthetics, good image, but they were not organized on the ground. And 
a few years later, Pesoy are back in government. They're very well organized. Why? Because they're anchored in the trade unions. They're anchored in Southern Europe. They're anchored in a lot of these rural communities. So they have that good activism on the ground. In the same way in the past, Fianna Fáil have, and in what Sinn Féin have managed to do very well in Ireland, particularly in working class uh, communities where other parties have just not done that. So I think act, grassroots activism matters a lot generally everywhere in politics, but I think it really matters in Ireland given the nature of our electoral system, the TRS-TV system, and also given the highly localised nature uh, of, of, of politics whereby you people vote for candidates, individuals, as much as they do for parties. Now that differs a lot by, by, by who's voting and different voters, etc. But you know, people really do vote for an individual. So somebody might be self-identified on the left, by all measures are kind of a social democrat, but they have somebody from Fine Gael who's really active on the ground and really good at solving local problems. And they'll give that Fine Gael uh, woman a vote. Uh, because they're, they're really good at solving local issues. So I think that stuff really does matter in Ireland. And any party that doesn't have that good grassroots organization, you know, they might get good, do well in, in a kind of in polls or one-off election, but they're not going to sustain that success uh, through time. You need to be really organized and strategic and disciplined. And, you know, you need to build that support locally. Yeah. And so just in terms of like, how much do you think is mobilized i mean i remember you were saying in in one of my in one of the classes that i took with you and or just say it uh, publicly as well it must have been one of the talks that we are a country that are privately rich but also publicly poor i mean so we have the big corporations facebook google order here but then it's not like we don't have like we're short on housing supply we don't have the best uh, transport and so on um, you know, cycle. I mean, I, I, I was living in Dublin, cycling transport, uh, cycling lanes are not there. And just regular, um, just uh, life, um, you know, human life um, issues. Like, um, how much does that mobilize voters to get out and vote? I mean, we were talking about grassroots activism and voting for the person or voting over like actual issues, general yeah. issues. Yeah, Where do you, I mean, I think it, it was. It's fair to say that the last general election was pretty much mobilized around um, quality of life issues. Yeah, no, I think so, and that's what the data would suggest too. If you look at the key issues that people identified as to what uh, shaped their voting preferences and political behavior it was housing, healthcare, um, and other public service-related issues. Um, it surprises me why childcare is not a major issue in Ireland. And again, I think it's just relatively speaking, people's comparisons are what they're used to. <laughs> Anybody who has had any, had any experience of public service provision in other Western European countries tends to be a little bit more animated about the lack of certain things like childcare infrastructure in Ireland. So I think, yes, quality of life issues certainly influence and mobilize the electorate at least a good part of the electorate previously. And um, yeah, I have said Ireland is publicly poor, privately rich, and you know, there's various different reasons for that. Lack of investment, obviously a decade of austerity doesn't help, a lot of austerity years during the 80s as well. Um, you know, too much focus on kind of consumption-oriented expenditure, not enough investment on kind of key social and capital and structural investments. But it's not just money spent, it's also organizational, it's institutional. So whilst people may have identified healthcare as a key issue for them, it's not like Ireland doesn't spend a lot of money on healthcare. It does, mm. but there just seems to be some there just seems to be something about the HSC 
uh, and, and the governance structure and the delivery of the healthcare service that people are just not happy with, the basic, the basic issue of, of, of waiting lists and all that. So, you know, it's not that, it does not necessarily mean more money will solve the problem. But I think, as you said, anybody, and I think Irish people, you know, an increasingly, let's say, an increasingly well, educated electorate for sure, but also a lot of cultural awareness about what, how things are in other countries. And our comparator is no longer just the UK. Our comparators of what happens in Sweden and Netherlands and France and Germany. And people see the quality of the public infrastructure in a lot of these cities in particular. Yeah. And they say, why can't we have that here? Um, and I think that's really what drives a lot of the urban educated uh, voter, for example, whether that's the case for, I don't know, smaller rural communities in Leitrim, I don't know. Um, but arguably, there's a lot more going for those smaller rural communities in terms of infrastructure, although you might not think it in terms of listening to public sphere. It's really our cities, it seems to me, that are, well, quite frankly, falling behind and falling behind quite fast. Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm, I'm very conscious of time. And so I just, I'll ask you one final question. Um, so it'll be, what, maybe another three, four years before our next election. And I've seen your tweet there, making predictions in politics is a, is a fool's game. But if you were to make a prediction in the next election, I know it's very hard. But where where would you see where would you see it going in po particularly in a post pandemic? Election? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's very, it's very difficult to predict. But just based on the existing polls patterns, a humble read of public opinion data and the issues that are going that people are, I think I think Sinn Fein will do extremely well. I think they'll probably do even better than what some of the polls are suggesting. The question then is, as you have alluded to earlier on, who would be, would they, would they be in a position to build a coalition to enter government? Well, that won't happen with Fine Gael, obviously. I think Fine Gael would be quite happy to sit on the opposition and say, okay, look, you've been slinging mud from the sidelines for the last 10 years. Give it a go. Go into the Department of Housing. See if you can solve the problem. And if you can't, great. If you can't, well, you'll feel the ire of the electorate in four or five years' time. So then the question is, can, can the Social Democrats uh, uh, and Labour and the Greens generate enough votes to build a coalition? Even if they did, Labour seemed to be suggesting that they will never go into coalition with Sinn Féin. And I don't think the Greens are going to do particularly well in the next election. I think they will, they will, they will struggle to return yeah. one or two TDs, arguably. So, so yeah, then you're talking Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil. And Fianna Fáil, are, are they likely to go in as a smaller minority party with Sinn Féin? That will, that will be difficult for them to do. So who knows, we'll have a home parliament and maybe we'll end up with exactly as we have at the moment, Fine Gael plus Fianna Fáil plus a smaller party. Maybe this time instead of the Greens, it would be the Social Democrats. Yeah, but if, like, just, if I could just say, fine, like we are living through a period that is quite exceptional. And yeah. so, I mean, I've seen a, an article there by uh, Dave McWilliams on like ECB and stuff. It, could there be like more leeway in terms of actually investing and taking on more debts to actually invest in public services. Is there an opportunity now for Fianna Fáil and, and this coalition to actually really invest in services that could make them really popular now? Because I think that opportunity is there. I mean, we're seeing it in the US with this massive stimulus bill. Is it something like that could actually happen here within European Union? It could do. It could do. It could do. But unlike, <clears throat> unlike what's happening in the USA, 
where there's clearly a shift in the macroeconomic thinking, mm. there's a shift in the ideas. The USA issues its own currency. It really does have control over its own fiscal and monetary policies in the way that Ireland does not. Yeah. I think that realization is deeply internalized amongst policymakers, senior civil servants, particularly in the Department of Finance, which makes them quite conservative. But I, my own personal view would be that, yes, if the Eurozone is to have any serious future, well, you know, it's difficult to do because you're talking about different governments reaching decision on complex issues. But ultimately, they have to set aside the old physically conservative rules that governed economic policy making for the best part of 20 years if they are remotely serious uh, about tackling things like the climate emergency. Um, so yes, I do think we need a paradigm shift on how we approach fiscal and monetary policy. I can think through that. I can articulate a story why that might be the case. I can identify the distinction in consumption investment and I could put together a policy package pretty quickly that might look, you know, fairly ambitious for the future. But you know, politicians by their nature are, are, are conservative, you know, they may not have that capacity and our senior civil servants certainly are not likely to be moving down that path because all of the kind of signals that we're getting is that they want to get back uh, as soon as possible to a relatively austere uh, approach to managing uh, the budget. And because they approach the budget as if it's a household, um, then, then that kind of locks off a lot of the ambition about the future. But your question is a theoretical one. In theory, could they do it? And the short answer is yes, of course they could. But it really comes down to politics and ideas. Yeah. Okay. Um, unfortunately, uh, that's all we have time for. Thank you very much, Aidan. Um, it's very welcome. An absolute pleasure uh, chatting with you uh, about uh, Irish politics. Um, and I know your time is, you know, your time is tight with you, and you're very, very busy. So uh, thanks very much. Um, if, you're not if you are not already, uh, make sure to like, follow and subscribe to this podcast and be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and LinkedIn. And you can find a link to those in the description. That's all until uh, next week. I'm James and this is Frontier Investigators.